idea. Let's sell the land and the tiny house. Let's buy a sailboat and go and live in the Sea of Cortez. I was, I mean, I had no hesitation. I figured that was my one little window and opening. <laughs> and um, we put our place on, on the market and um, we had a full price offer the next day. And, um, and one thing led to another pretty quickly. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'm really excited about my guests this week. They are Andrew and Gabriella Morrison of tinyhousebuild.com. They tried the 2200 square foot American dream only to realize that they were the happiest and the most available to their family when they were living with the least. Aside from being awesome people, Andrew and Gabriella are some of the most recognizable faces in the tiny house movement. They created a very popular how-to-build DVD set, designed the home, that's H-O-M capitalized and then E, which has been widely influential on the shape and layout of tiny houses on wheels, and they speak at many of the most important tiny house events around the country. You can think of this interview as a primer on how Andrew and Gabriella view life, family, and home. I think you'll come away feeling inspired and ready to embrace change in your life. But first, I want to give another quick shout out. I told you last week on the show that I love hearing from you, and I have been hearing from more of you. So I want to give a shout out to the Lake Dallas Tiny Home Village that left a review of the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast in iTunes, and they said, There's so much to know and learn about tiny homes, but Ethan and his guests provide much-needed information in a great format. I look forward to each new episode. Thank you so much for your support and your feedback. If you'd like to support the show further, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you about my signature resource, Tiny House Decisions, and share a coupon code. Your purchase helps me make new episodes of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. All right, welcome to the show. My guests today are Andrew and Gabriella Morrison. They are the creators of The Home Tiny House, tinyhouseplans.com, tinyhousebuild.com, and co-authors of The Tiny House Appendix Q. They live nine months out of the year on their 42-foot sailboat cruising the azure waters of the Sea of Cortez. Uh, Gabriella and Andrew Morrison, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks so much, Ethan. Nice to be here. I know. I'm so excited. Finally, finally, we get to be on Ethan's show. <laughs> We've been working on this for a while on the scheduling. And as I was telling you before we spoke, um, I asked my guests to share some resources that have helped them along the way. And the most number of, of people who have mentioned the same one they have mentioned you. So you guys are definitely doing something right. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate that. That's, yeah, that's so sweet to hear. We really, really, yeah, that warms my heart a lot. Well, let's start with just the backstory um, of how, you know, what brought you to Tiny House Living and then what made you decide to start really teaching how to design and build tiny homes? Well, um, <sighs> We we were initially we were intrigued by the tiny house movement because we came across it kind of at this pivotal moment in our lives where we we're doing all this introspection because we had moved into this very large, beautiful, not only American dream home, but literally like the 
our dream home that we had walked by for you know x amount of years and always kind of drooled over and we ended up in a position of being able to live in it and um after 6 months of living in it with our two kids who at the time were 13 and 9 or so um we noticed that kind of this dynamic that we used to have as a family was deteriorating um and we were we were really um baffled and distressed at the same time because one of the reasons that we had decided to make this significant move into a much larger home was to bring our family together because we had bought into kind of this assumed recipe that if you give, you know, your kids and your spouse, the, you know, these beautiful material things that that will equate to to love and closeness. And and here we were sort of disintegrating in a way that, that was really different. So our kind of tight knit structure and family connection was eroding and we were all, you know, just sort of scattered into the different corners of the house. And right around that same time, I actually received an email from Kent Griswold of Tiny House Blog because he was an affiliate of ours for our straw bale company. And in his signature file was tiny house blog. And we said, tiny house, what on earth is a tiny house? And I went online to his blog and I mean, it was, it was instant. It was like a lightning bolt called Andrew into the office. And we thought, no, no, before that, I think the first I heard of it was when you had bought Jay's book. Well, I bought Jay's book because of because reading. of that, that experience. Yeah. I don't see. I don't think I was privy to this whole like introductory experience, mm-hmm. looking online, checking out Kent stuff. I I got this book and I read through the book, Jay's book, Jay Schaefer's book, and and I finished it and I and I handed it to Gabrielle and I said something along the lines of, "That's awesome, but there is no way that I could do that. <laughs> like this guy Jay is one special dude and." <laughs> I don't think I got what it takes to be that guy. Uh, so that was my original. Gabriella was like, 100% yes, this makes total sense. And I'm like, y'all are crazy. <laughs> so, so then what shifted for you? Um, I think it just, it, it something happened. Well, walking through the house and going through our own house and, and walking around and looking at rooms and looking like, okay, so I have a living room. And I also have a family room, which is like another living room. And then our bedroom is huge. So it's like a living room. And I started just realizing how wasteful our house was. And I remember I went into the music room and I had, had, we had a room that was called the music room because it had my guitars and my banjo and stuff out and that they were, it looked great, but I would go in there, grab a guitar, play the guitar for a while, put it down and then leave. And I had a whole room for this. That's insane. So I measured it and, calculated how much it was costing us for energy, you know, heating and cooling um, for, for all the costs of, of that house. And then we did that around the whole house and just suddenly realized there's so much wasted space in here that this is how much, here's a dollar amount of how much it costs. Uh, and that was eye opening for me. And that's when tiny made more sense. Yeah. Suddenly. I think there's a lesson in that because I don't know about you, but I hear from people all the time who are like, I want to live in a tiny house. I am sold, but my partner, spouse, husband, wife, they are completely opposed to it. You know, help. What do I do? And I think the lesson is that you you have to somehow let that person come to that decision themselves. It's hard to force someone into it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and we, yeah, because we have heard from so many people over the years and, um, usually it's very like so rare that it's, that's 
both people in a relationship that come to that moment at the same time. There's usually one sort of leading the charge. But then we find that like in time, then the second one will come along. But truthfully, there are some situations that we've heard of from people that the other partner just refuses. They are not interested. And an, another great lesson in that is that it actually, a person can create a minimalist and intentional and deliberate and beautiful life, even while living in a regularly, you know, sized life and with a partner that, you know, feels like they need more space. That's been really, really um, neat for, for us to see over the years of people creating the realities kind of no matter what the circumstances are, because sometimes things don't line up exactly the way that we want them to. So Gabriella is sold. Andrew has his aha moment, like realizing how much wasted space there was in your in your dream home. Pick up the story from there. What, what how long does it take before you're before you're building the home. Well, if, if I can just jump in on that, I should just give some context to the time period that uh, between when Gabriella had her experience and when I had my aha. Um, with Amazon Prime, we probably got Jay's book the day after you ordered it, and it was probably the, that day or the next day. That I was like, oh, all right, this makes sense. <laughs> after like, it wasn't long. We it tend to long. we tend to to see life very similarly, which is really helpful. Um, yeah. So, so, so anyway, so that just a little context in terms, it wasn't like six months. Cause- and one of the big frustrations that we were experiencing at the time is here we were in this huge house and um, that was costing us a lot more. It's 1,800 not- square feet, by the way. So it's not a huge house. Like, no, you- it was 2,200 2,200 square feet. Square feet. Yeah. That's still not a huge house. Yeah. The average in the U.S. is 2,600. So just again, for context, I'm the context guy. She's giving me the look right now. <laughs> <laughs> And so we were finding ourselves having to say no to the kids all the time. We're like, dang it. Like, here we are. The family's falling apart. And now here we are stuck in this house. And the kids want to go and do stuff. We're like, no, sorry, you have to work and uh, to pay for this house. And it's not that we were financially irresponsible in moving. And it just, it just kind of brought us to a level that wasn't quite as comfortable as it had been before. So with, from the time we got Jay's book um, until we made the decision that to make a radical shift, um, that was probably a span of two to three months. Mm -hmm. And then within about six months um, we had had a gotten rid of, the house and uh, 90% of our worldly belongings. We had like the world's largest garage sale. All we had the stuff. best garage sale ever. People were like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah, we had, we, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> it was lots of fun. And, um, and then we, um, at concurrently at our son, uh, Paiute, who was 14 at the time, had decided that he wanted to go off to boarding school in Colorado to play ice hockey. Boarding school? Who sends their kids to boarding school? We just knew nothing about boarding school other than like in all the movies, it seems to be all the bad kids that get sent away. (laughs) Like we had no boarding school at all. Yeah, or when the parents don't like their kids and that neither one of those profiles fit fit us but he was really clear and adamant and he um, was very passionate about hockey and he had outgrown it and in the valley, and so um, he off he went to have his um, high school experience, and then we took that this opportunity of him going away because we had always been very um, connected to his his uh, hockey sort of career, and Andrew had coached. Yeah, him I was and- his coach for most of the the years, so there was 
when winter came around, we weren't going anywhere other than to, to skate. You know, that's when all the tournaments happened and all that stuff. So it kept in, us very busy. In the meantime, our daughter, Tara, who's wanted to be a marine biologist since she was about eight years old, had been grew up with Jacques Cousteau um, books and, you know, watching documentaries. And um, she had had this um, curiosity about the Sea of Cortez for quite a, a long time. And so Andrew had come up with this fabulous idea of us taking Tara down to Baja, Mexico, and to spend several months down there on, on, on the shores of the Sea of Cortez. Like literally like camping on the beach. <laughs> And, and that's what we did. Yeah, we bought yeah. a minivan. We bought a used pop-up tent trailer. And uh, our son went to Colorado. And Tara, Andrew, and I and uh, loaded up in the minivan. And off we went onto this wild adventure into the absolute unknown. And this was a time where there was a lot of press um, putting highlighting the quote-unquote dangers of travel in Mexico. There were, you know kind of orders being issued by the state department yeah, it's about not lack safe. Of and our friends and are telling us you're gonna your daughter's gonna get kidnapped don't and... go to mexico and so we we almost changed our plans because people really we got really scared but anyways we we we, we persevered we persevered and we went down and we truly had the most amazing experience discovered of, that the the most danger we ever felt in the entire trip was before we left the u.s and it was just amazingly wonderful people and and so welcoming uh, down in Mexico, and we we absolutely fell in love with it. Yeah. We really did, yeah. And and the our daughter Tara at the time she was um, ten, going on I don't know sixteen, and she was really at this pivotal point, I would say, of her development. Even though she was so young, but we could see her. Um, quickly sliding down this really um, what I would call like kind of the typical moody teenager um, outlook on, on life. And um, she was really hooked into social media and screens and like, we felt like we were losing um, her and she was only 10 years old and um, her being, getting to see her blossom and rediscover herself down in Baja in an environment that was completely connected to nature. We were living off grid in our pop-up tent trailer. Um, there were no, um, screens. There was no, um, no internet, cell service, no, no internet. cell reception, nothing. No, it was, it was a month of, there of, was that, there was the, the bird that landed on the rock in the morning. And then it took off. There was that. <laughs> and, yeah. And so we had a month. Did it bring the newspaper? Yeah. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> no, there was no newspaper. It was just the, the bird would come. And if it looked at you, it meant it was going to be a nice day. If it didn't, then you're like, ah, oh, weather's going to be bad. Which basically meant it was going to be 80 and sunny either way. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we had a month, I'd say all of us, of a pretty intense detox from a very fast paced Mm -hmm. uh, Western culture life. It was really uncomfortable and we did almost turn around um, because we feared that we had made a mistake and uh, we were actually worried about, <laughs> about Tara. And then sort of miraculously after like day 30, almost exactly Andrew, all of a sudden like the cloud lifted for him. And then the next day it was me. And then the next day after that was Tara. And then from that point on, we were there for almost five months 
we really got to, um, I don't know, sort of frolic and play in, mm. in paradise and um, swim in the ocean every day, go scuba diving. We had our own um, dive gear. So Tara got to really immerse into, into the waters and continue her um, you know, studies and exploration. And, um, and it was like seven bucks a night to be on the beach. Yeah, eight, like eight dollars a, a night. So yeah, there, wow. there was that. <laughs> yeah, so economical. And um, yeah, we hardly spent any money. When I look back on on Tara's entire, you know, childhood from birth, and she's 19 now and going off to college in a week um, to study marine biology, incidentally, um, on a almost full ride scholarships, um, which is amazing. So proud of her. And um, she, that experience in Baja and, and, and giving her the opportunity to see who she was, reconnect who she was without those stresses that most kids have to experience these days, those, the, the peer pressure, um, societal pressures. Um, social media, is the, that's the worst. Just yeah. Everyone's life Honestly, is perfect on social media, yeah. so it's really tough for, for kids. Anyway, that's a different topic, but yeah. Yeah, and and we we got to have her back, and um, we're still like those changes just from the five months were permanent, and we came back all very very connected and very close, and she started talking with us again, and now we're all amazing. amazing <laughs> she talking with us again. It's not like she didn't talk to us <laughs> yes, for five years or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like she's talking about the really deep, us. like the personal yeah. stuff and things that she wants help with, and and. Um, yeah, it, it feels like a real gift uh, that that we were able to give her and and Pied as well. He had he had an He had his own tiny house experience living in you know in a dorm room with his first roommate was from South South Korea, like totally different culture. Different, there was a lot to learn there, um, but it's it's something that seeing how how well that stuck um, to this day really is it was worth every. Every every second of when it was rough, like for that first month, it was worth every second of that uh, to to see her thrive through it. Yeah, I wish I wish every family had the ability to take their kids for you know an extended period of time. So you had this amazing kind of I'm thinking of it as like an intermission of life. You know, you went and hung did had this Mexican adventure. And really bonded with your daughter. And then did you think about building a tiny house while you were experiencing this? Or was it something that you decided to do when you got back? Yes. The whole the whole purpose of going down to Baja, all of that other stuff was like a positive side effect we were anticipating. But we went down, we got rid of all of our material possessions in the US and went down to Baja with literally nothing but the basics because we wanted to re um, define and identify what home means. So we had tried the big fancy American home and that house and that didn't feel like home. So what was it that would define a home um, for us? And we found that in living with the lease down there, that we were the happiest and that we were the most available to meet our our lives. So the whole time that we were down there, it became clear and clear that the tiny house lifestyle was going to be an absolute fit because it's very hard to be up in this culture and civilization 
and not get swept up by the the intensity and speed at which things move here. And one of the few ways that we can control our lives in this fast-paced environment is by having a home that provides you know, a, a refuge from this kind of chaotic, in my experience, fast-paced life. And um, so when we came back up, we... Well, we couldn't even find anything small enough when we yep. came back up because we had to rent when we got here. And, um, yeah, and then we went to Colorado after that too. So there was a little, in, another, another intermission. Um, but that, that was not really related to, to moving tiny or not moving tiny, but we moved to Colorado Springs, uh, in support of our son for a year, uh, with school out there. And that was crazy because everything in Colorado Springs is like 5,000 square feet. There are all these huge houses, tri-level houses. When we came back to Oregon and we couldn't find anything small enough to live in, uh, every time we try to rent a place, it would be, you know, you could find one that was maybe 600 square feet and it was always a total dump that had just been left to fall apart because nobody cared about that kind of house, quote unquote. Uh, so finally we ended up renting a place that was still too big. We turned the master bedroom into our office. We turned the master closet into our bedroom. And our library and our closet. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> it housed awesome. everything. It's like one of my favorite bedrooms. Oh, it was ever. amazing. It's like a little nest. Totally. Uh, and so we just we just knew that that at at, at least at the very least we were going to be doing something very minimalist. Um, and then the idea to to just build tiny, it just sort of made sense. It was like, well, let's do it. And and, and then to jump way ahead to your next question about um, you know what made made us to make the decision to start teaching people and all that. Um, that actually happened way up front. We we didn't know how well it would be taken by the the community, but uh, that's what we've been doing for years with straw bale construction is teaching people how to build. So every time we build something, we always film it and make a presentation of it. We just have always done that. Uh, so we filmed the making of our house uh, as an instructional DVD, uh, which turned into a four four DVD set, and and that ultimately was where it started for us. And then it was about you know trying to give give to the community something that, that we had to offer, which was construction expertise. There was a lot of voids uh, and a lot of what we perceived to be pretty dangerous things going on because of people building without uh, you know, adequate experience or knowledge. And we wanted to try to help fix that to keep people safe and give them the opportunity to build these amazing houses. Interesting. So, so you decided upfront that we're going to do this for ourselves and document it to turn it into a resource for other people who want to follow in our footsteps. Yeah, exactly. I think my next question is about your home setup. I don't know this for sure. I should have done more research before I interviewed you, but I my understanding is that you had a property with your tiny house, but then there were also other tiny houses for each one of your kids to kind of have their own space. Is is that true? Yeah, it, it, sort of. Yes and no. Um, so we we had our our home um, our, that we actually called home. Um, that was the that was sort of the main focus of of the land. It's about five and a half acres. Um, that's the only place where there was plumbing uh, on the property in terms of you know kitchen sort of thing, bathroom. Uh, so then each of our kids had their own sleeping cabin. So our our daughters uh, our daughter had a cabin that's one hundred and twenty square feet. And our sons had a, uh, our sons was a tree house. It was 160 square feet, I think. Uh, so they each had their own sort of private spaces. Again, the kids being older, 
um, really made sense for them to have a, a place of privacy and somewhere that they could go. And certainly when their friends and, and, and stuff come over, it, it can get really loud with, with four kids in that space. Uh, so it just gave us opportunities and options to do things a little bit differently and give them a little more freedom. Uh, and what's the word I'm looking for when you're autonomy, autonomy. yeah, freedom and autonomy, which they really appreciated. I think they really enjoyed having their own space. I'm sure. But do you think that there was something about that living setup that allowed you to kind of continue having that deeper connection with your kids, kind of like what you had in Mexico? Yeah. Um, I think one of the, the things I'm very grateful for with our family, other than, you know, it really was challenging in that big house we were originally talking about, but just, we, we, we've all made a really big effort to be um, close to each other and to prioritize our family and each other's lives. And that, that comes across. And I think that's one of the reasons that our particular model with having our tiny house and the kids having separate places worked and why we hear from a lot of other parents that say that they would never um, do it that way is because our kids um, just naturally seek us out and connection and, and wanting to be together. Whereas from, for some other families um, with kids, it seems particularly with with teenage kids, the, they, those kids just want to have as much separation as possible and then that kind of scenario could actually be, you know, detrimental to a family dynamic if, you know, if the kid is just like escaping into their own place, never wants to come out and who knows what they're doing. And, uh, but because we do have a very open channel of communication with our kids and they're very open with us about, you know, kind of what, you know, all a wide range of things. They're very honest, <laughs> which is great. Not always very easy to hear, but, um, you know, so it, it just made it, it made it possible for us to all thrive in that, that particular environment. I feel like I'm going to skip over a lot of living and I'm kind of skipping over Appendix Q, but I feel like we're on this kind of lifestyle direction of life path. And so you just announced few months ago that you decided to sell the tiny house and buy a sailboat well we were gonna buy a five thousand square foot house but we thought that would be too obvious so (laughs) (laughs) so we went for the boat option instead yeah it was really you know one thing i will say about morrison's (laughs) (laughs) here we go we don't seem to shy away from um, adventures, and especially if it's something that's going to help us gain a deeper understanding of who we are. We just we just seem to be sort of wired for, yeah, just new exciting things and and testing out different theories and um, introspection, and so we just ended up in a in at a time and in a situation where we realized that we could in some way sort of trade, you know, one passion and and vision for another one. And for ever since I've been a very young um, 
girl, I had had this vision of living on a sailboat. And, um, and, and for years I had brought well, that up Well, we both had Andrew. visions. Yeah. Mine was of the boat sinking in sea and me drowning and being eaten by sharks. That was the vision I'd always had about it. Hers was different. So I had I had buried down this this real intense passion of mine for decades of being because Andrew and I have been together for for twenty six years now almost twenty seven and um, thinking well that's clearly not going to happen this lifetime because Andrew had no interest and then all of a sudden Andrew comes to me probably last August yeah probably that or maybe yeah anyways right around that time saying honey. <laughs> I have a great idea. Let's sell the land and the tiny house. Let's buy a sailboat and go and live in the Sea of Cortez. I was, I mean, I had no hesitation. I figured that was my one little window and opening. <laughs> and um, we put our place on, on the market and um, we had a full price offer the next day. And, um, and one thing led to another pretty quickly. And um, by October, we had moved out. Our tiny house by February 3rd, we had taken possession of our new home. Um, her name is Journey, it's a Catalina 42 foot, and um, it has three births and two heads. And for us, it we was, could stand up in the bedroom. <laughs> for us, it was an upsize. We upsized. I, I don't know too many people that move into a sailboat. We have, we have three showers <laughs> we have an outdoor shower and two indoor showers. Yeah. Of course, the two indoor showers you can only use if you're squatting or sitting down, so the outdoor shower is more comfortable. And uh, yeah, off we went, but we we did not know um, how to sail. Um, we didn't know anything about living on a boat, and I think that was one of the pieces that was intriguing um, to us and why we wanted to set on this challenge was to learn something just completely different, really like get outside of our comfort zones. And we really got that. <laughs> we got to we have did. that experience and it was really hard. We felt really dumb for a while. Yeah. Like it's, we, we took, so we should say that we actually took a class. We took a seven day sailing class. Um, and got certified. So we're, we have three levels of certification in the ASA, American Sailing Association. So that's all great. Um, we can charter a boat anywhere in the world. And we got into our boat and we realized we don't know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> how does this work? And it was funny because for me, I teach seven-day hands-on workshops. And it's always funny to hear people say, there's so much information in that week. Like, I'm going to have to come back and do the class again to like really anchor it in before I build my house. And I was like, no, 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 you'll be fine, you know. And they get great information, believe me. <laughs> Same thing. Come out of the sailing school, I got great information. It was an incredible week. And then when it was time to do it without our instructor on the boat, all of a sudden it's like, this is terrifying. <laughs> like, which rope do I pull? Or, you know, like, and we did it, and we did it just fine. But, but it definitely, it was, it was really funny to, to be the student. And, and so I've been the teacher for so long, so to be the student on something I just had no idea about was. Very humbling. Very humbling. Very humbling. Like, like we still feel really small. We're still, <laughs> we still we're going back down nice. to the boat in a couple of weeks, and that in and of itself is a great statement. Yeah, <laughs> we are going back, yeah. and we're gonna. I mean, we loved it, and it was challenging. So, do you see this as as like a long term way of living, or just do it until you decide to do something else? 
that's definitely something else that we've learned about ourselves is we don't we we really let's see the 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 best way to put it is we 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 stay pretty uh focused on the present and we we like to try different things so if we say this is a long-term goal like we've we've realized that that just makes no sense in our lives because if something comes along that just looks inspiring and exciting and we have so many things that we want to do like we you know we go and hike the pct here the pacific crest trail and we've talked several times about well maybe we should just do the pct one year like that'll be fun or maybe we should walk across america that would be cool or maybe we shouldn't or we should do something else and you know like we're constantly reassessing and looking at, at places of adventure and and then you know if the kids were like hey come move to spain with me for a year I'd be like yep we're on our way you know so there's so many pieces that <laughs> awesome. play in um, that said the goal at this point is to go back to the boat and be on the boat uh until june we we're, like i said we're gonna head down in a couple weeks uh after, well, actually it'll be the first week in october after i teach uh, the last strawberry workshop of the year uh, and the plan is to be down there until June. And if something else comes up in the meantime, then we'll reassess. <laughs> yeah. Is that is that vague enough? I mean, that's kind of like <laughs> I'm trying to keep keep it vague because we just we honestly just don't know. We we just are, are really trying to stay in the in the flow of how things come to us. I love it, and I I think there are some lessons there for people who are interested in tiny living. I think that hopefully they're going to be inspired just hearing how willing to embrace change you are and maybe feel inspired. Hey, I can, I could do this too. Like I I can change the way that I'm living and maybe I won't like it, but even if I don't, it's not a big deal. I can always change again. I find that I, I am able to meet my biggest strengths and um and also my my biggest <laughs> challenges by um just pushing myself outside of my my comfort zone and um and then you know even even though there were for sure times during especially during the week long sailing class which was really really intensive just you know all day long um, and all night long, um, that I just felt like couldn't do it anymore. And I should just quit and just going through that process and, and seeing, you know, I think as, as humans, we're all really resilient and our ability to persevere and push through challenges and to, to grow. I just, I find that so amazing. I love watching that process and other people. And I certainly enjoy going through it, through it myself. So, so many people come to tiny house living at first because of the finances. You know, they see it as a great way to reduce their expenses. But I see time and time again, people come for the money and stay for the lifestyle. And they, they see that their whole lifestyles open up and there's so much more possibility. I'm curious if you have any tips or just ideas for people for how to get more mindful about their lifestyle as they transition to tiny house living. I, th- I think what you're touching on um, is the tiny house lifestyle really is a mindset and it's an outlook and it's a way of walking through the world with eyes wide open. It almost felt like once we stepped into um, the tiny house life, yeah, for sort of financial reasons and other reasons, it was like really this veil lifted and then we couldn't imagine putting it back down because we, 
we realized that um, kind of the propaganda that had been sold to us forever wasn't wasn't true. And so we can walk around, especially in in Western culture. We do feel like it's different, and at least certainly the places that we go to in Baja, which are um, definitely off the beaten path. And you know, there's no like there aren't even billboards or anything like that. But that we can all just, um, yeah, just move through the world with an intention and make, uh, especially purchasing choices that are based in in awareness and consciousness, and um, and in terms of like practical day to day tips. I think there's different exercises that people can do to to kind of stay close to that. I know that one of the pieces that was really so fun for us and and really like the start of our us going down the the tiny house living rabbit hole is we had all of these the the average american household has 300,000 uh material possessions 300,000 that's just the average that includes everything from an item of clothing to a paper clip to a car and everything in between and so when we had to go through the process of downsizing for ourselves, we couldn't, we just didn't even know how to begin that process. How are we going to go through the potentially 300,000 items and make a decision of where to start? And so we came up with a 365 day rule and um, we started at one corner of the house, opened up every single drawer and dumped everything out. And if we hadn't used it for year went into the garage into this quickly growing massive pile that ended up to be three foot tall over a two two car garage span and um and then at the end of the time to see how little we had actually used um just in the last year you know how quickly we can accumulate things and we're not even my god we're like the farthest thing from hoarders you know i feel like we were pretty conscious to begin with but it's some it is amazing it's hard to stay present and mindful in this in in this culture it's challenging yeah i I think the the biggest thing (laughs) the thing that 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 i tend to succeed at and then fail at and then succeed at uh and i guess it's just a question in the end of how many more times do i succeed than i fail at it is checking myself when i make a, a, a purchase on something or when i make a decision about something and uh, to ask if it really supports my longer term goals of what I want for myself, for my life, for my family. Um, and, and honestly, the place where I fail at that is with sugar. I love sugar. Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, I, I, I'll, may, I'll, I'll buy a, a candy bar and, and I'll have the conversation and I'll just be like, yeah, I don't even worry about it, man. And I'll buy the sugar anyway. <laughs> so like, that's where the fail failures come in. But the places where that's successful is, is they're really important to me is being able to, to decide, do I, do I really need this? Do I want this? Is it going to improve my life? Is it going to hinder my life? Is it going to create more stress? And it's a very, it, I mean, these are a lot of questions, but it can really be, for me, it's one question. It's just taking a pause and looking at it and saying, is this really what I want? And, and, and just allow myself to answer that question. And a lot of times it's not, you know, a lot of times I'll go, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think I'm going to hold off on buying this right now. Or making. Yeah, and I think to that end, goals are really, really, really valuable. And goals, great thing, thank God, <laughs> is goals can change. Um, so I really appreciate that they can be fluid and evolving. 
Um, I used to be a little afraid of goal setting because somehow I felt like I'd have to adhere to like this strict, rigid path, but they can be super fluid. Mm-hmm. But what's, what is, what is that, that thing you say at our Smart workshops goals. all the time that the, like giving up the immediate, um, Oh yeah. 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 To basically is to stay, to give, uh, instant gratification, to focus on your longer term goals. Yeah. yeah. You know, so like for me, that candy bar is like, I could give up that immediate gratification of the candy bar, knowing that my long-term goal is to lose five pounds. Um, although the, the scale we just got actually says I'm five pounds lighter than I thought I was. So that's awesome. That was so easy. <laughs> so maybe you should just buy a new scale. That's what for me. I mean, I don't know if that's inspiring or not, but that, you know, just get a new, get a new scale. <laughs> Well, I feel like I could talk to you both all night, but at some point I have to let you go. So I like to ask all my guests, what are a couple of resources that inspired you along your tiny house journeys? And they don't have to be tiny house specific. So I just wanted to ask, what are some books or videos or movies or things that inspired you? That one's really easy for me. Always, it start started with Ken Griswold from the Tiny House blog, and he's a dear friend. And then it's Jay Schaefer, who's also a dear friend. And then um, I have to give a shout out to Alexis and Christian, a Tiny House expedition. And then Ethan, I know I've I've written to you this to you in email, but you are like my my web. Uh, crush just the stuff that you do on your website wait hey what (laughs) (laughs) it's so so high quality and just everything you do is just beautifully laid out and um i i really i you're a huge uh resource for us and we send people to to your site um quite a bit because i just feel like your content is really good and macy miller um we adore just absolutely adore her and what she's done for this movement and being, you know, kind of, I would say, I, I'm going to call it, she's the poster child of the tiny house movement. And, um, and, and, and she's an incredible advocate and friend and mother. And we, mm-hmm. we absolutely adore her and her family. They're amazing. And so many people, so many. And, and I'm going to go outside the tiny house movement um, and say uh, that there are some people who you should know about Larry Hahn, for example, uh, just the most amazing carpenter ever. Uh, he passed away a number of years ago, but, uh, he wrote the book carpentry, um, uh, and the very efficient carpenter. And he is just one of the most, you want to learn how to frame and really understand framing. He's an incredible guy. Uh, so I would definitely recommend him. Uh, there's another book by John Carroll called working alone which has a bunch of great little tips and tricks and, and uh, ways to speed things up when you're working by yourself, which I know a lot of tiny house people build by themselves. So uh, there's some cool tips in there that I would definitely recommend. Um, I could probably give you a whole bibliography, but <laughs> <laughs> wiring a house by Rex Caldwell. That's a great, great book. <laughs> if you want to learn how to do electrical, I mean, this is what I do. I build. So I have all the, I, I have the building side of things. Well, Andrew and Gabriella Morrison, thank you so much for being guests on the show. This was great. That was a blast. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Ethan. You're the best. 
Thank you so much to Andrew and Gabriella Morrison for being guests on the show. You can find the show notes from today's episode, along with pictures from various Morrison adventures and all of the resources that they recommended at thetinyhouse.net slash Morrison's. That's thetinyhouse.net slash Morrison's with an S at the end. At the start of the show, I mentioned that I would tell you about my comprehensive resource, Tiny House Decisions. Now, this show is absolutely free, so you are in no way required to purchase anything. But if you are interested in designing, planning, or building your own tiny house, I think that it is worth your while to give Tiny House Decisions a try. Tiny House Decisions is the guide I wish I had when I built my tiny house, and it comes in three different packages to help you get a jump start on your planning. Save hundreds of hours of research and thousands of dollars on your build with Tiny House Decisions. You can learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. We're offering a special discount for podcast listeners. Use the coupon code TINY to take 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code TINY for 20% off. That's all, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. I'm the context guy. She's giving me the look right now. (laughs)